Hey, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Untitled, and basically here's the conversation that you and I have been having about family, uh, was simply this, that look, every generation that's lived before you and me has written a chapter in our family story, but right now is our chapter. And we said, what would it be like if you and I wrote this chapter of the Johnson family story, the Evers family story, and it was so powerful that our chapter became the title of the book, the title of the Johnson family book. How cool would that be? And today we're just going to take a little while and talk about what would it be, what would, it, what would we, you and I, have to do to have Christ-centered homes? What decisions would we make? What behaviors would we, what, what would it mean for you and I to just simply say, no, 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 Jesus Christ is going to be the head of our home. That's how we're going to write uh, our particular chapter. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some of us, that hasn't been your family story till now. Matter of fact, if you look back at the chapters that have been written in your family up until now, you go, look, uh, my, the chapters leading up to, they are, they're tough. I mean, they're just filled with failure and horrible decisions and and things that wound and bring catastrophe. And you would say, look, I, you don't even have to convince me about having a Christ-centered home. I mean, based on my family history, I get it. This is the only option. I mean, this is the only thing that's going to pull the Johnson family out, is if we get serious about God. Here's the problem. Everything I've seen, everything I've watched, I mean, everything that's cultural within our… I, I just have no idea how you would do it. How would the Johnsons have a Christ-centered home. Some of you are on the other end of the spectrum. You go, no, 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 no. Uh, our family history, I mean, our family history is a legacy of serving Jesus. I mean, of following God. I mean, that's just, that's just uh, what it's been up to now. And the truth is, my, her- my parents handed off the baton to me, and, and here's probably your problem. Uh, you're still riding the coattails of your parents. So you've learned all the actions, all the behaviors that are expected of a Christ-centered home. But you're still writing the faith of your parents. And somewhere you're going to have to decide, do I really believe this stuff? I mean, is is this my faith? I mean, I go to church because that's what we've always done. And, you know, I I read my Bible on occasion because that's what you do. You're going to have to decide, is this your faith? or the faith of your parents. And, and here's what you and I are going to come to, is that having a Christ-centered home is not something you're going to eventually become. Having a Christ-centered home is not something you grow into. Having a Christ-centered home is something you decide to be. It, it's putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is who we are going to be. It's a decision made, not a process finished. So, matter of fact, if you have your Bibles uh, this morning, if you'd go with me, I'd like to go to the book of Joshua to a guy who clearly makes the decision. Matter of fact, in the midst of deciding who his home was going to be, he calls out all of Israel and says, you decide who you're going to be. It's the book of Joshua. If you're not real familiar this morning, if you go to the front of your Bible and work to the right, you're going to come across this uh, book of Joshua pretty quickly. We're going to be looking into the life of the guy who uh, the book is actually uh, named after. And here's what you need to know. Um, He comes by this honestly. I mean, this guy has been doing heavy lifting for God. Joshua is the one who follows Moses. 
And if you remember your Bible, you remember that Moses never gets the children of Israel into the promised land. They, he dies while they're wandering in the wilderness. But now has come the time to go into the promised land. And remember, they hesitated because there were giants in the land. Joshua. Joshua is the general who has led Israel into taking the promised land. He has led them in countless battles, and they've had success. And it's interesting that in this moment, after all the fighting is done, after all the work is done, Joshua says, okay, so now that we won, you need to decide who you're going to follow. I think that's interesting because I think we so often think that deciding to follow Jesus is, is what you do usually when you're in the midst of the battle. <laughs> See, I, I, think, I think in the midst of the battle, it's really easy to decide to follow Jesus. Because <laughs> usually in the midst of the battle, nothing else is working. And so usually following Jesus sounds like, help! That's following Jesus. Joshua understands that something far more insidious is about to happen, that something that would cause them to get lax in their faith and go, okay, so I, maybe I don't need as much Jesus now as I did then. And the interesting thing is that in the way you and I are wired is that actually when things are going well, you and I feel like we need less God in our lives. And so in this moment of success, he says to them, guys, look, you're going to have the propensity to drift. You're going you're to have, you, now that the fires are out and the battles are over, you're, you're going you're gonna to lean toward being really, really average. And you need to make a decision. You've got to decide today, are you going to be a Christ-centered family? Or are you just going to be a family that goes with the flow? Here's what he says. Joshua chapter uh, 24 starting in uh, verse 14. Here's what he says. Joshua 24, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods, little g gods, of your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God Himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt and from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us uh, on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God, and He is a jealous God, and He will not forgive your rebellion or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been so good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, <laughs> we will serve the Lord. If you've come from a, a family history and, and maybe it's super broken and it, there's just a whole history that's checkered in its past and filled with chaos, then 
here's what you and I are going to have to decide. You're going to have to decide you don't want any gods of your fathers. That, that whatever your parents worshipped and your grandparents and your aunts, whatever they served in their lives, there is no place in your life for their gods. And you're going to have to just dump them. Say, look, no, no from, from this day forward, we're not going to worship any of those little g gods. Matter of fact, go, uh, go back uh, to the passage. Verse 14, Joshua says this. He says, now, fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Ready? Throw away the gods of your forefathers. You just, look, if you're going to be a Christ in your home, you're just going to have to say, look, I am not going to worship the things that my family worshipped before I came on the scene. I'm going to throw away the gods that my family has worshipped up until now. Now, here's the interesting thing. Many of us come from families, and although we didn't openly declare it as gods, the truth is it's obvious that we worship. See, some, some of our families… Uh, it was the almighty dollar. And, and as long as, as you were successful in business and as long as you uh, lived in the right neighborhood and drove the right car, and at the end of the day, that's what our family up until now has always worshipped. It's the God that our family has bowed the knee to. It's what's culture in our family. It's what brings you esteem in our family. It's what brings you value in our family. And everybody knows, for some of us, it's education. And guys, here's what you had to get. So often false gods aren't in themselves bad. It's just the idea that you and I worship that more than the pleasure of God. That you and I are more interested in fulfilling that and serving that than we are in serving our Heavenly Father. And the moment you and I put anything, no matter what it is, in the place of God, it is a false god. And some of us in the culture of our family, it's all been about how many degrees you've got behind your name. That was our family God. For some of us, it was, it was drugs and, and alcohol abuse. It was the God our family bowed to. For some of us, it was sex. And, and our dads were flanders, and they, and they went out, and they ran around on our family, and, and, and we learned culturally, that's what you serve. You see how many women you can bet along the way. And Joshua says, look, if, if you're going to do this thing, then, then you're going to have to take all family gods, everything that your family has served till now that's been in competition with the Lord, and you're going to have to throw away the old family gods. Guys, can I, can I just tell you how hard this was for me? I grew up in a family where my dad was just a remarkably uh, accomplished businessman. Only uh, finished two years of college. Uh, bef before it was all said and done, he purchased the company he had worked for. And under his leadership, grew it bigger than it had ever been. And I, I'm so wired like him. I'm so, I'm so set toward accomplishment because it's so easy to measure. I mean, you can measure it by how much is in your bank account and what title you have sitting on your door. And can I tell you that one of the hardest things for me to go into ministry was knowing that I would never be able to measure my life that way. How do you measure changed lives? And I'm just telling you that if you and I are going to have Christ-centered homes, 
You and I have got to be able to go to the gods of our parents, even if, even if the God in and of itself wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was just that we worshiped it in our family. And you and I can't have any room in our home for those gods. Sometimes, sometimes what you and I worship is far more subtle. Sometimes you and I don't even notice that we're doing it. Matter of fact, especially in the culture that you and I live in, because uh, the culture we live in is just so frantic and so busy, and there's just so many demands on your time and my time. Matter of fact, if you stop and think about it, uh, you get married, and uh, you're, you're just trying to find enough time to do your uh, marriage right, and then before long comes one of those, and, uh, and then you're trying to get them off to school and uh, their homework. How much homework do kids have nowadays? It's just, and I had to do it all. But, and, then, and then there's, uh, you know, recreational leagues and sports and karate lessons and ballet lessons for your son, I mean for your daughter, and uh, video games. Video games, I mean... And, and then, you know, you're just trying to even make a living out of the deal. And, of course, work just takes a huge chunk out of our lives. And then you're trying to stay fit and do exercise. And there's housework. And yard work. <laughs> and there's music lessons for your kids so they can be Justin Bieber. And then there's camping and family vacations. And guys, let's just be honest here's the answer you can't do it all, can you? You can't. There's just, there's no way for you and I to do everything that you and I get told that we have to do. Here's the interesting thing. Since you can't do everything, what you decide to do, see, whatever, whatever it is in here that you make time for, that you're willing to set, the, so whether that's exercise or music lessons, or working 60 hours a week. See, what, whatever you make time for, that is your God. See, whatever you say, look, 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 that is the most important thing in my schedule, because here's the deal, guys, the most precious commodity that you and I have is our time. So whatever you say, look, that is the thing that I, I, everything else comes after that. That's the thing. And I, I'm, I am just going to be accomplished at work, and I'm just going to find success. Then that's your God. If it's playing video games and everything else plays second, then that's your God. You know what we often do? 
especially if you're somebody who's just figured out Jesus in your life somewhat recently. And this is a big deal for us because we know that at Cornerstone that at least 60% of the people in the room have figured out Jesus since they came to the room. And, and here's what we often do. We try to kind of slide God in there somewhere. Can I just say to you that if God is an afterthought, He's not the center of your home. See, if, if God is something you do when all the chores are done and after the kids have got their homework done and, and when, when you're not tired, if, if God is an afterthought in your life, then He's not God. You, you don't have a Christ-centered home if God's an afterthought. And can I tell you that, that when you and I try to do this, when you and I just try to slide God in wherever He's convenient in our lives, that this is absolutely insidious upon our kids. Because here's the deal. Our kids watch what we do way more than what we say. And if they watch you give God the leftovers of your time, then they know. They know. No matter what comes out of your mouth, they know. Matter of fact, take your Bibles real quickly and just jump over to the left with me for a moment to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 11. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting in verse 18, says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them in your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk in the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give you and your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above. Let me, let me just say that. You have to pass the says, look, let your kids see you modeling Jesus in your life. Let them, this is better caught than taught. Let them, let them see you doing life and putting Jesus in priority and let them catch on. And guys, I'm just going to tell you that, that as long as you and I end up enslaved to busyness, as long as you and I are willing to let every other priority be just as high in our hearts and our lives as God, our kids won't catch on. And you do not have a Christ-centered home. You know, the crazy part is, uh, it used to be that, that the one bastion of family time that we still had, because guys, I used to hear me say this, standing on the sidelines at soccer and cussing out the ref is not family time. Your kid being involved in every sport and every activity in the world is not family time. And guys, I know, I, 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 I know your kids go into the NBA. I know. Can I, can I just say, no, they're not. They're not. And them being involved in 15 seasons of basketball 
you're not going to get. And they're going to learn. You ready for this? They're going to learn by what you didn't prioritize in your family. You know, it used to be, it's interesting, it used to be the one bastion you still had to spend a little bit of time with your family was riding in the car together. I mean, at least you were stuck together riding to school or going to the mall. But, but now, uh, while you and I are driving along, uh, they're, they're playing uh, PSP. And uh, if that's not enough, then the DVD player flops down from the top of the car and you and I don't have to spend any time together as a family. So let me just ask you a question. When are your kids watching you, seeing you, hearing you? And can I just suggest that somewhere Somewhere you and I have got to make time, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's skipping a music lesson or hiring somebody else to mow your lawn. I, I don't know what the answer is. for. I don't care what the answer is for you. Here's what I care about. That you make enough time in your home that Jesus isn't an afterthought. That Jesus is the first thought. And every other thing that you could be doing stands in line behind him. So let me just ask you a question. If Jesus was the center of our homes and the Lord of our time, how often would you and I go to church? I mean, would we wake up on Sunday and go, hey, how you feeling today? Uh, you know, how oh, it's been busy. And the... if Jesus was the center. Would that even be a discussion on Sunday mornings in a Christ-centered home? If Jesus was the center of our homes, and I had to choose, you had to choose, between soccer practice and youth group, which one wins? If Jesus is the thing that we measure everything else by, and not just something we add on. If you, come, if you come from a family where not following God and not serving God has just not been part of it, then, then here's what I need to tell you. You've got to get rid of all of the old family gods. He goes on. So go back to the passage, Joshua. Some of us, some of us come from great families. I mean, Jesus has been served and God has been Lord in our family And the problem that, that you struggle with is that you need to decide if Jesus is your Jesus or the Jesus of your parents. Is your faith really, really, really your faith, or are you just hanging on to the coattails of your family? Go with me back to verse uh, 15. Here's what Joshua says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you... <laughs> Then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether it be the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And you ready? But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
You get with Joshua and he goes, look, I, look, here's the deal. No matter what my parents did, no matter what our forefathers, I don't care. I'm telling you what my family's going to do. I'm telling you the decision we're making. And this isn't my parents' faith. This isn't my grandparents' faith. This is my faith. And as for me and all of my house, hey, we're gonna start, I'm not riding anybody's coattails into church. I'm deciding who the Joshua's are going to be. You know, it's interesting because I think one of the most common things that happens sometimes when you and I come from a godly Christian heritage is that as we kind of ride the coattails of our parents, we, we simply go, well, look, here's the deal. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm a Christian. I mean, I've always been a Christian. I've been raised in a Christian home. I mean, that's just, that's just what we do. We do Christian around here. But, but here's the thing, you know, mom and dad, mom and dad were a little bit extreme. I mean, mom, mom and dad, I mean, wow, I mean, it, it, they were. They were like the go to church every Sunday and you miss soccer practice so that you can go to youth group. I mean, that's just who my parents were. And, and I, just, I just don't know that it needs to be that extreme. I, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, my thing is, you know, hey, I'm going to be a Christ follower. I'm, I'm just going to modify it down. And I believe the greatest temptation for you and I who come from families of great godly heritage is to tone down the faith of those who went before us. And so we, we find ourselves saying, how can, I, how can I keep a little bit of Jesus in my life, but I want a little bit more of the world in my life too. I, I don't want to be as extreme as mom and dad. I, I need to find a way to kind of balance this out, kind of straddle my faith, fence it in my walk with Jesus. Hey, guys, that would probably be okay if following Jesus was simply a lifestyle. I mean, I mean, guys, if, if following Jesus was just a diet, then you and I could look at the diet book and say, look, look, I mean, you know, they want you to eat, you know, chicken every day. Look, I, I'm going to modify the diet. You know, they're, they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to make the poor. And you know what? If, if, if Jesus were simply a lifestyle, then you and I could do that. You and I, would, you could, we'd lose weight a little more slowly, but we could do that. Jesus is not a lifestyle. Jesus is a relationship. And I'm just going to tell you, there is nothing more unsatisfying than someone who's half in on a relationship. What, 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 what if your spouse said to you, look, I'm half in. You know, here's the deal. I mean, I, I really do care about you. I've got deep abiding affection for you. But there's this old boyfriend. And I just got to tell you, man, I, we've been hooking up on Facebook. and I mean, I'm just telling you, I, there's a lot of feelings there too. And, and so I'm just trying to, could we modify our marriage a little bit here? I, can, I, can I just be half in on this deal? You ever had somebody on your team that was half in? Got a little hot, got a little warm, and suddenly they're not running very hard on the field? <laughs> Things get a little tough, and suddenly their toe is stubbed, and they're on the sideline? Guys, I'm just telling you, there's nothing more unsatisfying in a relationship than somebody who's half in. Someone who's trying for average in their marriage, average in their teamwork. What about a friend? Get a friend who's half in and says, look, here's the deal. I, I'm more than happy to hang with you, but there's this other group, and they're really cool, and you're not part of them. And so if they're doing something, then I'm, I'm going to go hang with them. 
See, it'd be okay for you and I to modify this thing if, if this was a lifestyle. It's not. It's a relationship. And you're either in or you're not. It's interesting. Uh, I told you guys a while back uh, about a youth group that I had years ago. And, and how the freshman class came through and their absolute fire for Jesus Christ just sucked the rest of the group with them. That, that there were seniors who were taking their cues from sophomores, freshmen and sophomores. And that, and that literally while they were in the youth group, those were four years, we changed the high school in that town. I mean, just set it on its ear. Here's what I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you what happened the year they graduated. The year they graduated in the summer, the juniors who had been coming behind that senior class decided the way to start the summer off well was to throw an underage drinking party at the home of one of the families who was gone on vacation. They literally invited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids from the high school, all underage, to come up and get drunk and mess around. That's how we started the next year. And I, I called him into a meeting. I said, guys, what, what, what did you just do? I mean, what, what, what was that about? We, we, had, we had set that high school on fire for Jesus. I, the, the whole town was watching us. And this is how we kicked off the year. Are, are you guys just turning your backs on Jesus? What are you going to go, no, no. No, we're, we're in. We're in. We just don't want to be as radical as the class ahead of us. We went a little bit of Jesus and we went a little bit of the other. We're half in. You don't even want to know what happened to our testimony on that campus. Everything that God was doing, it was if someone turned off the light. can't tell you how average the lives of every one of those students has been. Because they were half in. You know what I love about the passage? I love that Joshua decides. I love that he just says, look, you can do what you're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. As for me and my house, man, we, we are going to serve God, period. And you know what the cool part of the passage is? He didn't have Mrs. Joshua poking him to do it. This is, this is Joshua all on his own. This is, this is a dude stepping up. He didn't take a family vote. He didn't go to the kids and say, what religion do you guys want to follow? Guys, I'm just going to tell you, you have lost all control of your family if you're asking 10-year-olds what God they're going to follow. Joshua steps up, Joshua plays leadership and says, dude, I'm just going to tell you, the Joshua family is all in. And let me tell you what, not part, there is no passivity there. There's no sitting back to see what his wife or his kids or anybody else is going to do. He just says, look, I get it. I, this, I own this. This is my role. This is my responsibility. Guys, I... 
I think this is so huge for the men in our church to hear because so often our wives are more passionate about spiritual things than we are. And here's what my answer is to you. I don't care. This isn't about being passionate. This is about deciding who your family is going to be. And I don't care if it gives you butterflies in your stomach or constipation. I don't care what it gives you. It's deciding who your family is going to be, which means you cannot possibly be passive. And men, we have deferred to our wives so many times in this. Matter of fact, it's, it's kind of how you and I are wired. You and I go, well, if you're going to do that for me, well, go ahead. Adam does it in the garden. <laughs> Here's Eve having the conversation with uh, Satan, and Satan's telling her all sorts of lies. At what moment should Adam have stood up and said, Eve, stop it? That's not how we live. That's not what, that's not what the Adams family does. It doesn't meet Adam's family values. And instead, Adam plays passive. He sits and watches. And guys, I'm just going to say to you, your entire family is waiting for you to step up. And you don't have to be more spiritual than anybody else in your family. You, you, don't, you don't have to. You simply have to decide for your family. You simply have to take lead for your family. You simply have to say, look, this is what we are going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to ride, you ready? I'm not going to ride the coattails of my wife into the kingdom. I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to lead my home. Because one day when you and I get to heaven, men, God is not turning to our wives to ask how they led our home. He'll turn to you and me. And as for me in my house, now, here's the deal. I know for many of us this is mystical and we go, oh my goodness. Well, I mean, okay, Lynn, I get it and you just guilted me out of my head and thanks a lot. I'm not coming back to church for a couple weeks. I am. I get, I get, so don't let me guilt you out of your head. Don't, let's not do that. Let's, let's just talk about some super easy ways for you to do this in your house. And ladies, I want to say this out loud too. If you're raising a family by yourself, it's okay. You're, ending up, you're going to take some lead and do some things that you wouldn't have to do if your man was stepping up. But step up and do it. Set the course. It's okay. But, but let me just give you some real practical things that you can do. Uh, and, and I'm going to challenge you to do these, okay? So here's the deal. We gave you a card like this when you came in this morning. I'm going to ask you to pull out the card. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three things that I'm going to ask you to do for the next 30 days. And then I'm going to let you decide on the last two things that you want to do as a family for the next 30 days. And I'm just going to say, what would it be like if you and I had Christ-centered homes for the next 30 days? What would that be like? What, what, could we just experiment with that and see what that would be and what it does for our family? So here we go. There's five things on here. I'm going to give you three, and then I'm going to give you suggestions. You get to pick the last two. Here's the first one. For 30 days, my family goes to church on Sunday, every Sunday. It's not a discussion. It's not up for debate. It's not something we decide whether we're tired or whether we've been busy or whether we can do laundry. For 30 days, we go to church because God gets the first of our time. 
Everything else makes time for him. He does not make time for everything else. Number two, uh, I'm going to ask you to have a family night. Ugh. You mean I got to hang out with my kids? Yes. Okay. And if you're married, here's what I'm going to suggest you do. I'm going to suggest you do this half and half. So pick a night. I don't care. I don't care if it's Thursday night or I don't care what it is. That on one week, you go on a date with your wife. I'm just going to tell you there's nothing more powerful than your kids seeing you court your wife. And then on the off week, you do family night. And you just play games. Just hang. I don't care if you watch a movie. I don't care. Spend time with your family. Because what we make time for is what's important. What if you did that for four weeks? Date night, family night, date night, family night. Number three, prayer. <gasps> prayer. And here's all I'm asking you to do. It's going to be really, really simple. I'm only going to ask you to pray once a week. Do it on family night. And while you're sitting there having a meal, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to pray when you pray at family night. Pray for your children out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for Tommy. And my prayer for Tommy is that he would grow to be a man of God and follow you with his whole heart. And thank you for Becky. And my prayer for Becky is that one day she would find a godly man who would love her with all that is in him and that they would raise and have a godly Christian. Just pray for your children out loud. And then you ready? And pray for your spouse out loud. Okay, one time a week. That's all I'm asking for. You know, you know an interesting stat? Divorce rate, anybody know what the divorce rate is? 53, 55, depending on who you talk to. Did you know they found that couples that prayed for each other on a regular basis, you know what the divorce rate is? One in 10,000. And I'm not, I'm not saying that prayer is the magical salve. I'm just saying by the time you pray for the other person, it engages your heart for the other person. Once a week, pray with your family. Okay? Now, here you go. The next two, you get to decide. You can make them as easy or as hard as you want to make them. Let me just throw a few things out. You might come up with something else. I'm going to ask you to consider making a second hour for God in your week. Okay? So whether that's your children going to Kaboom and some of the ministries you have, or your children going to youth group instead of heading to soccer practice, if it's you going to an adult class that we have over there, or coming back to the mine, or going to a men's Bible study, or women, I don't, I'm just going to ask you to consider making another hour a week for God in your week. Uh, here's another suggestion. Uh, write a note. Write a note once a week to each of your kids and simply tell them what you're praying for them about. Or give them a verse. Say, here's your verse for this week. But just write them a note, encouraging them in God. Uh, watch a movie. And guys, here's the thing. When you watch a movie, it doesn't have to be a Christian movie. Christian movies are boring, okay? <laughs> They're really badly made. Watch a movie. And, and here's the deal. It's okay if some stuff happens in the movie that's not necessarily Christ-honoring. It's okay. Because here's what you do. You turn to your child and you say, hey, uh, if you ever behaved like that child in the movie behaved, what would I do to you? And the proper response is, you would kill me. And then you go, see, godly values. There you go. So, uh, there you go. But, you know, hey, uh, we saw that person in the movie, and they lied. 
And did you see the consequences of their lying? Hey, you realize the only reason the person got in trouble is because of some of the bad life decisions they made. You realize even poor movies can become an incredible lesson when you and I coach in them. So watch a movie with your kids. Uh, read a Bible story. Just, you, know, you can go in the bookstore we've got, buy one of those little kids' Bibles. It's, it's like 70 words, 100 words. Read a Bible story one night a week as your kid's going to bed. I'm just going to tell you, if, if you did that with your kids, they, they'd, know, they'd know you were trying to have a Christ-centered home if you read a Bible story once a week with them. I, I, I talked to one of our staff people, and they said, you know what we do when we sit down and have dinner together? We ask this question, where have you seen God working? And they said, our whole family just sits there and says, hey, I was at work, and, I, and there was this person, and I prayed for her, and, and, and they just tell their God stories. They tell where they've seen God working. You know one of the powerful things about that is that you will encourage your children to start seeing God at school and God in their playtime, and to watch for God to move in the lives of their friends. So just once a week, just, hey, where have you seen God working? Okay, this, this one. What if, what if during the next month, what if you memorized one verse of Scripture? Just one. Now, I know this is a challenge because your kids are going to get it quicker than you, so that's why I gave you a month, Okay. So just one passage of Scripture. Just make it your family passage for the month. Hey, our family is going to memorize one passage of Scripture. Guys, I can't tell you how valuable it is when your kid is in the midst of making decisions in life if they have Scripture at the tip of their tongues. Remember when Jesus was tempted, what did He do? He rebuked Satan every single time with Scripture. When your daughter's in the backseat of the car with that 16-year-old boy, you want her to remember, flee youthful lust. <laughs> okay? Memorize. So here, I'll give you one in case you don't have one. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Be a great one for you to memorize this month. And then uh, here's the last one. Could I encourage you to consider, can you remember, you're only going to pick two of these, for you to consider, hey, what would it be like if you did personal devotions for at least five minutes every single day. Because here's what's going to happen. Your kids are going to walk in and catch you at doing devotions. And it's a whole lot better than some other things that could catch you doing. But if they saw you doing devotions, they'd know something really important about you, wouldn't they? And about your time and about the God you worship. Okay? So you, you can come up with something else. The last two are up to you. I don't care what you... As long as whatever the last two have something to do with making your home Christ-centered, of putting Him at the head of your family. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, would you and I do this for 30 days? Would we just do that? It's not mystical, it's not magical, but it very well may be powerful. And you can't do this, you ready? You can't do this without a decision. This is who the Johnsons are going to be, at least for the next 30 days. Christ-centered home. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we just simply come before you. And God, we get it. This is having you in the center of our home is not something that we're going to grow into. It's something we're going to decide to be. And God, there are some of us in this room 
that just need to throw away the gods of our fathers, that, that what has always been the thing that our family has worshipped and the thing that we've measured our family by, and we've just got to get rid of that and say, look, we're only going to measure our family by following Jesus. That's going to be the measurement. I don't care if you're a doctor. I don't care uh, if you're a maintenance I don't care as long as you're a Jesus follower. Some of us in this room need to spend a little bit of time and just reorder our priorities. We, we, our lives are so filled up. And following Jesus is something we squeeze in to a hectic schedule. And God, if, if you were really the center of our homes, then everything that happened in our home would happen after you. You'd be the first thing our family would do. God, I pray, for, I pray for Christians in this room who come from families that have a godly heritage and they've been riding the coattails of their parents. They've, they've never truly decided for themselves, I'm in, I'm in. I am going to serve Jesus because he's my Jesus. This isn't, this isn't a cultural thing. This isn't a lifestyle thing. This is life. And I'm all in. God is my God, not the God of my parents. He's my God. God, for 30 days, for 30 days, we want to experience what it's like to have Christ-centered homes. Help us do this. Help us do it really well. In Jesus' precious name.